a man-made island that hosted a World's Fair and was the site of a controversial move by former Mayor Richard M. Daley in 2003 before becoming a city park? Today we're discussing Chicago's Northerly Island and Miggs Field. I'm Tommy Henry and this is the Chicago History Podcast. I've talked quite a bit about renowned architect Daniel Burnham on this podcast for one big reason. As one of the guiding minds in developing Chicago into the greatest city in the world, a lot of what we see around us today came from his 1909 Plan of Chicago. One of the many things Burnham envisioned for Chicago was a new park composed of a chain of five man-made islands between Jackson Park to the south and Grant Park on the north. Unfortunately, only one was actually built, Northerly Island. If you listen to episode 308 of this podcast about Chicago's fresh air sanitariums for sick babies slash man-made Lincoln Park, you may recall that to create much of Lincoln Park, a ginormous hydraulic dredge measuring 148 feet long, 38 feet wide, and 10 feet deep used a suction pipe 30 inches in diameter to draw up thousands of cubic yards of Lake Michigan's bed, which was then piped to the shoreline. This blue clay from the lake bed was sent through three pipes at a rate of 3,000 cubic yards per hour. The South Park Commission began creating Northerly Island much in the same way in 1920, completing work in 1925. Note, as the land is connected to Chicago's mainland by a narrow isthmus, it is actually a peninsula, but really who wants to say northerly peninsula? The Adler Planetarium, still a huge attraction for city dwellers and tourists today, was opened in 1930 at the northern tip of Northerly Island. Of course, it wasn't long before city officials, eager to shine a spotlight on Chicago as an air transportation leader in the U.S., started discussing turning Daniel Burnham's island, intended for use by all, into an airport. More on that in a moment. As much as Chicago history nerds like to discuss the World's Fair of 1893, the second World's Fair that was held in Chicago starting in 1933 was also a pretty big deal. Called A Century of Progress, the theme of the event was technological innovation, which included the motto, Science Finds, Industry Applies, Man Adapts. There is way too much about the World's Fair of 1933, which proved so popular it was extended into 1934 to get into in this episode, but I bring it up as a large portion of the Century of Progress Fair, was held on Northerly Island. In July of 1933, then-Mayor Edward Kelly traveled to Washington to request a $6 million federal grant to build a new airport on the lakefront. Now, if you're thinking, oh, so this is where we get into Miggs Field? Mm, Not quite. Kelly's proposal called for an area east of the Adler Planetarium, yes, even farther out in Lake Michigan, to be filled in, quote, 
to form an island triangular in shape with the base parallel to shore, connected by a 500-foot bridge to the northerly island. The airport island would contain six runways, 2,800 feet long, an administration building, and a number of hangars. End quote. After the success of the World's Fair on March 6, 1935, Mayor Kelly announced a new $20 million plan for a permanent Chicago Fair to be built on the site of the Century of Progress Exposition, dependent on President Roosevelt's work relief bill. The funds would go toward adding 30 acres to Northerly Island and developing the area between 16th Street and 23rd Street on what was called the mainland. At 23rd Street on the mainland would stand one of the largest exhibition halls in the world with five acres of floor space at a cost of $7.1 million, a little more than $151 million in today's money. A central arena in the hall would accommodate 50,000 people. Quote, as I see it, the plan faces that future to which we are courageously addressing ourselves a future of leisure in which we shall balance business with culture, devoting ourselves both to the necessities and to the graces of living, Kelly said. I am positively thrilled by the possibilities which it forces us to consider. Mayor Kelly went on in the report saying the nature of the whole enterprise must have the character of refined and beautiful park where dignified adult recreation will be stimulated in a wholesome atmosphere. It must be the best development of its kind in the world. Northerly Island will appear from the city front as a wooded isle. Here will be a magnificent bathing beach with all the conveniences the best club would offer. A broad beach walk will surround the whole island. Areas will be equipped for certain social games and other attractions. The best facilities are planned for boating pageants, concerts, and open-air opera. There will be a field for national tennis matches, and the enchanted island of the 1934 World's Fair will be preserved. End quote. Within two years, the Chicago Exposition Authority, lacking the funds needed for the Lakefront Exposition, turned over Northerly Island to the Chicago Park District. Unable to resist sidestepping Burnham's plan of Chicago, in 1945, the city of Chicago offered Northerly Island as the site for the headquarters of the United Nations. Fortunately, this effort also did not come to pass. I found the artist's concept of what the United Nations on Northerly Island might have looked like, and I'm pretty sure I can hear Daniel Burnham spinning in his grave from two miles away just for me talking about it. After losing the bid for the United Nations to New York and with the ink drying on a 50-year lease... Construction began in 1946 for a small single-strip airport on Northerly Island. That same year, in order to make the area large enough for a suitable runway, the Illinois State Legislature deeded 24 acres of adjacent Lake Bottom to Chicago for additional landfill. This airport mania also roughly coincided with efforts to turn the airport west of the city known as Orchard Field into a major hub. 
That airport would later be renamed O'Hare Airport. Officially opening in December of 1948, the airport in the lake was informally known as Northerly Island Airport and originally featured a single 2,800-foot airstrip for use by planes. A year and a half later, on June 30th, 1950, the airport was renamed Merrill C. Miggs Field. 6,000 people were on hand on Northerly Island as 66-year-old Merrill Miggs, described as an outstanding Chicago businessman, he was the publisher of the Chicago Herald and Examiner newspapers, a civic leader and private air travel enthusiast, accepted the honor. An air traffic control tower was built in 1952. In 1955, Meg's single runway was extended from 2,800 feet to its ultimate length of 3,900 feet. In addition, there were four helicopter pads near the south end of the runway. A modern terminal building opened in 1961. Now, I had always thought of Migsfield as a convenient airport for rich guys with expensive hobbies or politicians from our state's capital who wanted to avoid traffic on major expressways. Doing a little more digging, I discovered there were a number of smaller, legitimate airlines that flew into and out of Migsfield to places including Springfield, Illinois, Detroit Metro Airport, Indianapolis, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. You get the idea. Granted, this airstrip wasn't big enough to accommodate jets, but for short-distance turboprop planes, it performed quite well. President and Mrs. Eisenhower flew into O'Hare Airport in July of 1960 for Eisenhower's address to a crowd of 12,000 later that evening for the Republican National Convention at the International Amphitheater. After landing at O'Hare, they took a helicopter to Miggs Field, the starting point of a parade that took them through the loop around noon that day. That September, Senator John F. Kennedy, a 1960 presidential nominee, arrived at Midway Airport and was brought by helicopter to Miggs Field, where he was greeted by a crowd of 25,000 people. That's according to Colonel Jack Riley, Chicago's Mayor Daly's special events assistant at the time. Kennedy was in town for discussion about domestic affairs with the other presidential nominee, Richard M. Nixon. Mayor Richard M. Daly had talked about closing Miggs Field once its 50-year lease ran out and turning the area into a nature preserve. Chicago's two daily newspapers seemed in support of it. In 1993, Chicago Sun-Times editorial read, quote, It should be a park, as Mayor Daly is urging. That's how it was meant to be when it was conceived as part of Daniel H. Burnham's 1909 Great Plan for Chicago. No doubt some small number of airport enthusiasts will protest the closing, gripped as they are by an overly glorious notion of MIG's importance to the city's commerce. Such enthusiasts once even predicted that the airport would be as busy as Midway or even O'Hare. The Chicago Tribune weighed in with the following in 1994, quote, Imagine a small pond surrounded by dune grass, a retreat where migrating geese and herons stop to rest and preen feathers. Now imagine that this idyll is within walking distance of Chicago's loop. In September of 1996, when the 50-year lease expired, Mixfield closed. 
The following January, Mayor Daley and then-Governor James Edgar worked up a new deal in which the city would operate Miggs Field for five more years, and then it would be turned into a park. Miggs reopened one month later. There was a bit more wrangling by those eager to keep Miggs Field open over the next few years, but that all came to a halt one spring night in 2003. Just before midnight on Sunday, March 30th of that year, trucks transporting construction equipment rolled into Miggs Field, and by early Monday morning, those crews had dug six ginormous X's into the lone runway, making it unusable. Mike Daffenberg, an air traffic controller at Miggs Field, learned of the closure of the airport from news reports as he headed to work for his 6 a.m. shift from his home in DeKalb, Illinois, a nearly 70-mile drive. Quote, I felt like I was laid off by the radio this morning, Daffenberg said. A Chicago aviation official had called the FAA's district office at 2 a.m. that Monday and left a message on the answering machine informing them of the mayor's action. Kind of like breaking up by text, right? When asked about his nighttime demolition, Daly appeared unapologetic. Daly was, according to the Chicago Tribune, quote, still stewing because federal authorities were quicker to restrict airspace over Mickey and Minnie at Disney World and Disneyland than they were for Chicago. Daly said his unilateral closure of MiGs was prompted in part by fears that the nation's homeland security bureaucracy was moving too slowly to address the city's needs. This, by the way, all occurred about five weeks after Daly was elected to his fifth term as mayor, securing nearly 79% of the votes cast. Pilots and daily detractors lost their minds, but Rich stood his ground even when the city was fined by the FAA for closing the airport without notice. Near the one-year anniversary of the demolition of the Miggs Field runway, the area remained mostly inaccessible. Grass had been planted where the runway once stood, but little else had developed. When asked about Miggs Field at a press conference in 2004, Daly seemed to be less focused on safety than he was the year before, calling the decision to demolish Miggs Field, quote, one of the best, end quote, he had made as a mayor. Daly went on to say that private aviation interests, quote, really don't care whether or not we have 100 acres for public space. They don't care, but we care in the city of Chicago. I live here and people live here and they want that lakefront. It belongs to them and not to private businesses and not to small planes. End quote. A committee pushing for the creation of a combination public park and airport, the Bessie Coleman Sky Park, was quickly shot down by the Chicago Park District, which owns the land. The Park District said they had no intention of altering Daly's vision for Northerly Island.
In 2005, a 7,500-seat privately-run concert venue was constructed at the north end of the peninsula, meant to be a temporary structure with a five-year lease. What is currently called the Huntington Bank Pavilion has been expanded over the years and now boasts a capacity of more than 30,000. While certainly not part of Daniel Burnham's 1909 plan, Portions of revenues from events held there go to the Chicago Park District's General Fund, which then helps with upkeep at Northerly Island. Twelve years after Richard M. Daly had crews cut those big X's into the runway at Miggs Field, then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel reviewed a new 40-acre, $9.7 million park toward the south end of Northerly Island. One of the key features was a winding bike and walking path. According to officials, the cost of the nearly $10 million new park came from $6.3 million in federal funds and $3.4 million from the Chicago Park District. The Park District's portion came from concert revenues. But because Chicago, within months of the park opening, the bike path on the east side of the peninsula started to show signs of wear from erosion, caused by the crashing of waves from Lake Michigan. A section of the path, roughly one-third of its mile-plus length, was later closed off. Also because Chicago, much finger-pointing ensued, and according to a 2019 Chicago Tribune article by Blair Kamen and Abdel Jimenez, it was revealed that offshore reefs and barrier islands were originally planned to frame an outer lagoon to the east of the peninsula, and protect the lagoon and the peninsula from the relentless pounding from Lake Michigan. When the Park District and the Army Corps were set to begin construction on the park a few years later, the planned reef and barrier islands were scrapped due to expense. It would have cost about $40 million, or more than four times the project's budget, the Army Corps' Northerly Island project manager claimed. Today, the 91-acre Northerly Island offers a comfortable getaway from the hectic downtown area just to the west. According to the Chicago Park District page, this lakefront natural area features prairie grasslands, a five-acre pond, and strolling paths that offer great views for observing birds and other native wildlife. The path runs along the western side of the peninsula, terminating at the southern end. There are over 150 different varieties of native plants and an emerging savanna with 20,000 trees and shrubs, all of which provide an ecosystem for migratory and local birds. Northerly Island offers year-round outdoor and environmental programs that are a catalyst for bringing communities together to develop an awareness, appreciation, and knowledge of our natural environment. Programs include youth nature programs, guided nature field trips and tours, camping, fishing, paddling, and annual seasonal festivals that highlight nature in the city, such as the popular Polar Adventure Days. In researching this episode, I spent some time walking the paths at Northerly Island, and the word that kept coming to mind was serene. One thing not mentioned in the above description is the Daphne Garden. 
In 2004, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs unveiled 24 Art in the Garden installations in Chicago's various parks. One of those, Dessa Kirk's Daphne Garden, became a permanent installation when it moved from Grant Park to Northerly Island in 2006. The three sculptures of Daphne, I'll have pictures on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages of them later this week, are all made from scraps of discarded Cadillacs. If you're wondering whether there are any remnants of the old mixed field still on the peninsula, indeed there are. The air traffic control tower and the terminal building are still standing as of this writing. It may have taken more than 100 years for his vision to be fully realized, but I think if Daniel Burnham were alive today, he'd be pleased with how Northerly Island turned out. Thanks for listening to today's episode about Chicago's Northerly Island and Miggs Field. This episode was researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. If you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. That amazing art for the podcast you see used on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. That was created by the inimitable John K. Schneider. If you need art for your project, he's your guy. John can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. If you live in Chicago, check out Northerly Island if you haven't recently or ever. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.